Okay, we are in a study on the series of the book of Acts, okay? And by the way, how many of you have brought your Bibles to church today? Your physical Bibles, how many of you, you actually brought? Raise it, raise it all the way up, raise it all the way up, okay? Okay, I've been, I, I want to encourage you to love your Bibles, to, to hold your Bible, to carry it around with you. And I know some of you, you say that um, I got my Bible in my phone and that's perfectly okay because I carry around my phone with my Bible all the time as well. Um, the only thing about um, having my Bible on my phone on my phone with my Bible is that every time I'm trying to read the Word, there are a lot of other voices and noises clamoring and competing for my attention. And so when I'm reading the Word on my Bible, uh, when I'm reading my Word on my phone, I've got text messages coming to compete for my, for my attention. I've got urgent uh, always, everything is always urgent uh, 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 coming in from, from Telegram asking me to look into things, you know, and the word always gets squashed out into second place, third place, fourth place, you know. And so I like reading my Bible from my physical copy and I encourage you to do so as well. Another, another thing is that when you, when you have a physical Bible, you can actually underline, you can circle words, you can take notes as I want to do. We are in the book of Acts and we are today in Acts chapter 3. And in Acts chapter 3, we are, are going to see an amazing picture. Something incredible is going to take place. Today I've entitled the sermon, Power of a Name, Silver and Gold I Have None. Next week, we're going to stay on this idea of the power of a name, you know, and, and, and we're going to see what happens when the church carries the power of the living God into the world that they live in and starts to carry it. They become new temple. New temple, which becomes, means that the new interface of God on earth is there, moving in their midst. And right there, wherever the church goes, supernatural starts breaking out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for everyone who is here. We pray and ask, Lord, that you just hone our thoughts and turn our focus and our attention to your word because your word is the source of life. And so, Lord, we ask that you cause your word to be exalted in our midst that the Jesus who is revealed through your scriptures um, will be so brilliant and magnificent in our eyes, Lord, that indeed um, you will open our eyes to wonders anew and capture our heart with your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, let's read the word in Acts chapter Acts chapter 3. Okay. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. If you don't, I'm going to read it from my from, from, from the text here, okay? Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. By the way, the ninth hour is three o'clock. Okay, three o'clock because they start counting the day at six. Okay, um, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. That something he's expecting is alms, right? He doesn't, does he get alms? We've got to read on to find out, right? Expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, Silver, I have no silver and gold, but what I have... I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Let's look at the next slide. Right. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Somebody say wonder and amazement. 
wonder and amazement. They were filled with wonder and amazement of at what had happened to him. Now, I just want to to bring us um, thanks, by the way, to the team who's uh, fixing um, the, um, the the tech with us. Yep. All right. Thanks so much. Um, now, just want to quickly point out a few things before we continue looking at the rest of the story. Remember a few weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago it was that we saw in Acts chapter 2, the disciples were gathered in one place and then Holy Spirit fire comes and falls on the disciples. They start breaking out in new tongues. And it sounds like cacophony to most people. It sounds like they might have been drunk to the cynics and the skeptics, but to those who are ready to have ears to believe, they heard it in their own respective mother tongues, the works of our great God, right? And they heard this, this was supernatural, breaking out of God, filling His disciples with power. And you will know, if you're familiar with the Gospels, while Jesus was alive, Jesus said, unless I go to the Father, I cannot send you the Holy Spirit. And after He had gone to the Father, He sends the Holy Spirit now. Now, God's people are filled with the new power. Now, God's people are effectively the new temple. And you will hear the apostles write in future uh, letters saying that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit rests inside you. The thing that people used to go, going up the Mount, of Mount Zion to go to the temple, today the temple is no longer fixed in Jerusalem. That's why we don't have a kiblat when we pray. We don't point ourselves to Jerusalem to pray at Jerusalem. You know, today every single one of us carries the power of the living God. We are a new temple people. That's very important for us to know. We are new temple people. The Spirit resides in us, of God resides in us. Wherever we go, temple goes. Wherever we go, intersection of heaven and earth goes. That's why wherever we go, there is potential for the supernatural. Why? Because wherever we go, power of the living God on earth as it is in heaven, happens wherever we go. We are New Temple people. Last year, I preached a sermon and showed you this little diagram, but I see that there are many new faces here. So I want to show you what this means. God has always interfaced with His people. And in the earliest days in Scripture, He would interface with His people through the building up of altars. You know that Abraham set up altars. Isaac, Jacob uh, would set up altars. They would pray at those altars. God would come and interface with them there. And then as time wore on, they start, if, the, if you can say technology, the infrastructure became a bit more complex and God gave them the, the, the blueprints on how to build and set up a tabernacle. And so starting from the time of Moses, they set up a moving tent. And in that tent, one of the tents was called the Tent of Meeting. And in the Tent of Meeting, the power of the living God will literally be there in that tent. And in that tent was the interface of heaven and earth. And the rest of the earth was just the rest of the earth. But in the tent was that interlocking place between heaven and earth. It was the tabernacle. And in time to come, Solomon the king would build a physical temple made of bricks and mortar in Jerusalem. And that temple would endure. It would endure until the Israelites were, were banished and exiled first to Assyria, then to Babylon. And in the second temple, second temple, they would continue rebuilding it in the time of Haggai. But essentially, they would still, wherever they wanted to go to where God is, where heaven and earth meet, they would go to the temple until Jesus was born. And in the time of Jesus' life, God interfaced with humankind, literally face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus died on a cross in the hands of evil men, was resurrected, and in so doing, God authenticated Him as Israel's Messiah and as the Lord of the whole world. And after that, He sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And now, today, we are on this yellow line. 
Okay, I imagine this as train lines. We are on the yellow line. We are on the yellow line of the Holy Spirit line. Or if I may rename it, we are on the new temple line. We are the new temple. And now the church goes and we are heading towards New Jerusalem. One day we will get there. It's important for us to know this because wherever the new temple goes, supernatural healing, signs and wonders are possible. Now it is possible. In the past, we will need to go to the temple to find healing. Now, supernatural healing, signs and wonders are possible. Now, I want to point you to the expression here, signs and wonders. You will hear signs and wonders all throughout the book of Acts. And you're going to see that there is a reason why they don't call it just miracles. They don't call it just miracles, healing miracles. They always call it signs and wonders. In fact, just one chapter ago, you can see that the disciples were gathered and they were worshipping, they were devoting themselves um, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and, to, the, uh, and to, um, to, to prayer. And out of this, out of the overflow of this, signs and wonders took place. Why? If you drive on the highway and you are going to, let's say, Kampa, Right for church camp, right? By the way, church camp is in Kampa, Grand Kampa Hotel, right? Um, and you are going to Kampa, and you're driving on the highway, and you see a sign that says, Kampa, turn left, right? The place where Kampa, the, with the signboard that says, Kampa, turn left, is not Kampa. It's a sign to Kampa. In itself, it's not Kampa. There'll be many other signs pointing you towards Kampa. But as you're driving, those signs are leading you in the direction of Kampa. If you don't have those signs, those of you who are familiar might still find Kampa. But if you don't have those signs, for the rest of them, like me, with no ways and no signs, I will, I will end up somewhere else. I'll end up in Bangkok, right? And so, my friends, a sign is not meant to be the thing which we worship. The sign is not the thing that we pursue. I want to be very explicit about this. A sign from God is there to point us towards God. And it is God whom we pursue. It is God whom we worship. But the sign the sign does something. The sign points us in the right direction, without which we may never find the correct destination. And wonders. Just now I made you guys repeat the expression. They were filled with, with, um, with wonder and amazement. You want to know why? It says signs and wonders because the, the correct response to a sign from God is a wonder. It's Wonder! I think we are a very disenchanted generation of people in the 21st century. And a lot of the times when we see something supernatural, some of us are inclined to overchase it and we treat the sign and wonder as if it is God itself, you know, and we want to chase after signs and wonders. We don't. We chase after God. Uh, some of us are swinging on the are betting on the opposite end of the spectrum. We become skeptical. We say that must be a hoax. That must be a this. That must be a that. I bet it won't happen. I bet uh, uh, um, um, these people are just loonies or whatever it is, right? And maybe that's the result of us being extremely exposed to all kinds of things, including many charlatans, including many ma many fakes, and then sometimes over time we become cynical and skeptical about these things. But the purpose of a sign and a wonder is twofold. Not just to point you in the direction of the living God, and we all need to find that destination, but it's also to create in us not a sense of skepticism, but a sense of wonder like, wow, wow, what is this? What is this? Who is here? Something is happening here. And that was exactly the reaction the disciples had in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. If you remember that story, it said fear struck them. You know why? Because they suddenly realised that they were in a boat with one who was not an ordinary person. They realised that they were in the company of someone who was quite unlike any other category they had. There's, they had no category for this man, Jesus Christ. And that is the same kind of wonder 
that every miraculous act, whether it's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or whether it's happening to us right here in our midst, every sign, every wonder should draw us into saying, wow, God, you are luar biasa. I want the God of the sign and wonder. Amen? Amen. I really needed to put that down because I believe God is going to do wonders in this place. He's going to reveal Himself through signs and healings and miracles and deliverance. He's going to do all these things because the people of God declare the mighty name of Jesus and we believe in Him wholeheartedly. But when He does so, let these signs point us toward Him, not toward the next piece of shock and awe. Are we good? Are we good? Okay. Now, just the first thing I want to point you before we keep on reading, another thing I want to show you. Remember, in the first week of Acts series, I showed you the outward trajectory of the book of Acts. That's another way of saying that Acts begins here, but Acts is constantly blowing out. It's going out and out and out into the furthest reaches of the world. Acts 1.8 And you will be my witnesses. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then furthest flung parts of the ends of the earth. And so if you see Acts as 28 chapters, the first seven are all set in Jerusalem. Today, we are right on the doorstep, literally on the doorstep of the temple in Jerusalem, right at the heart of Jewish religious life. And so it's as if Luke, the storyteller, is taking us right to the doorstep and then he's saying that, ha, just wait and see. It's going to go from the doorstep of the temple and it's going to go out. And it's going to out, go out to the furthest flung places all the way to chapter 28, Malta, and Rome. That's your book of Acts. Now, it's fascinating that earlier I did say to you that we are the new temple, right? But those of you with keen eyes are going to say to me, Pastor, the old temple is still there. The temple is still there. You just said they are at the doorstep of the temple and that is true. This story takes place at the beautiful gate. It's one of the gates on the eastern wall of, 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 of Jerusalem. They are at the old temple. And if you, if you understand and, and you've read the, the, the Gospels and you've read through Acts, you will see that there is a decay happening in the heart of Jewish religious life. The ones, the ones who have been tasked to steward the shepherding and the leading of the religious life of the Jewish people have turned it into a, a, almost like a spot to see who can be more pious, to see who can be who can check the most numbers of of, of legal uh, uh, boxes attained, who can fast longer, who can read more scriptures, who can pray longer, who can follow the law more closely, and it became an oppressive, and difficult, and prohibitive kind of faith such that a lot of the orang-orang biasa were all priced out from this faith. They couldn't. They couldn't. It was just the, they set the bar in an ungodly way, too far, too high, and, 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 and not what God intended for them to reach. And God said, and it's fascinating, you see that there is a physical temple that is experiencing decay, and then you see almost... Luke uh, and God, uh, it's just amazing. He tells the story, Luke the storyteller, but God ordained it so that the story takes place just outside the temple. As if to underline the fact that there is this decay happening inside, but I'm going to show you right on its foot, uh, right on its, uh, its, uh, its doorstep, something supernatural is taking place. What should be taking place inside is now taking place right at its footstep. And so, it goes. Let's keep on reading. Acts chapter 3. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Now you're thinking, eh, I thought they're supposed to wonder. They're wondering the wrong thing. 
Let's look, okay? Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though it is by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Amen? So it's almost like a very thinly veiled jibe eh, at the powers who are inside the temple, the piety of, of, of the ruling class, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. It's not by our piety that he walks, right? But what is it by then if it is not by our piety? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted you. And you, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Again, I highlighted this in blue so that we can all remember the centrality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, Peter didn't need to do this. The guy's been healed. A crowd has gathered. Peter doesn't need to explain himself. They're all staring in wonder. Peter can just accept it and say that, wow, they are, one, they are in wonder of the power of the living God and move on. He could, but he knew that their wonderment was not at the power of God. Their wonderment was that, wow, these two guys so king, man. These two guys are like, wow, what power they have, you know. And later you see Paul doing the same and, and one guy had the cheek to, uh, to say, I'd like to pay for this power, right? That's another day's story. But these guys, the crowd was besotted by the human, the, the supposed colonial human powers of Peter and John and say, I want what they have or whatever they have. It's amazing. Let's cling on to these guys. And so Peter saw it necessary to explain the theological underpinnings of this. He says, by the way, theology is not about seminaries, okay? Theology is about where you see God in, in daily life. That's theology. And Peter is doing theology here. Peter is saying that, guys, why are you one staring in wonderment at us? As if by our piety and our power, you know, uh, um, this man is healed. No, no. You, by the way, you, all of you with your rulers, you all killed Jesus. Reminding them, reminding them about the power of the death and the resurrection whom God raised from the dead. We have been witnesses to this. And by this name, His name, and then He stresses by faith in His name. His name, dash, by faith in His name, dash, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health and in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, that his Christ would suffer, he, has, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That what times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing is an, interesting, is an interesting expression because for those of us who have been a, got a bit of a church background, you will know the song, Times of refreshing here in your presence. Right? Okay? And I won't go on singing. i got to preach. Okay? Um, but I, I just ask, I'm going to ask you, when you see this expression, times of refreshing, you're a first century Jew, your scriptures are the Old Testament. What do you think of? What pieces of scripture do you think of when you hear the expression, times of refreshing? Hold that thought. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ. That's part of the times of refreshing, that He will send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Times of refreshing is going to come. When you hear the expression, times of refreshing, and if you are Jew, which you're not, I think, <laughs> And if you are first century, uh, 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 um, uh, and I know you're not, <laughs> you might think of scriptures like Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, which says, For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. We don't have to put it on screen, yeah, guys, don't worry. 
The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. You might think of Isaiah 41. That says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. So that's Isaiah 43, right? Isaiah 41, it says here, um, it says here, who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand, marked off the heaven and closed the dust? And then he says that, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm look, I should be looking at 43. Let's jump straight to 43. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. All of these all of these pictures speak of wastelands, speak of desert, speak of dryness, and God say, I'm going to make a way in them. I'm going to bring a river to them. I'm going to cause pools to rise up in them. I'm going to bring refreshing into places of deadness, dryness, and, and, and fertility to places that cannot bear forth anything. It might also remind you of Psalm 23 which is a much more familiar passage. Psalm 23, which famously says, I will make you lie down in green pastures. I will, uh, I, I will make you lie down in green pastures and, and sit you down by what? By, you guys know, remember this? Still waters. Still waters. And then what? He restores your soul. Times of refreshing will come again. Amen. Moses and then Peter starts. Peter starts quoting Moses. I want to spend a bit more time on the scriptures. Yeah, don't 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 be too eager to jump to the learning points. I know maybe some of you are like, where's the two points? Where's the three point sermon? I'm waiting for the three point sermon. Allow the word of God to be opened up. Give it space. Peter starts quoting Moses. So Peter again clearly seems to really know his way around his scriptures. Yeah, he's not just an ordinary old fisherman. He has been with Jesus. He knows his way around his Bible. Do you know your way around your Bible? Acts 3, verse 22. Peter cites Moses said, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So there is a warning here. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Now, if you were reading Moses before Jesus, you should read up, raise up. God will raise up for you a prophet the same way you would read 2 Samuel 7, where God speaks through Nathan uh, uh, to Solomon, saying that in, in, in the time to come, I will raise up one of your sons to sit on the throne forever. Now, raise up for you a prophet. I'll raise up one of your sons without the resurrection. Sounds like I'll just raise him up the way you raise a child. I raise up my children. I raise up my children to be good, upstanding human beings. Responsible, blah, blah, blah. Raise up. But after the resurrection, Peter is helping the Jewish crowd around them reinterpret their old scriptures. Peter is helping them to see, guys, all this while we read this text, and with a shade behind it, all this while we read 2 Samuel 7, as he will raise up. But no, no, do you not see the resurrected Jesus? Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. And now, you no longer read this scripture the same way. Because you read it with Jesus as your lens, the resurrected King as your lens. And now if you were to go and look back at 2 Samuel 7, famous passage, where God says through, through Nathan the prophet to Solomon, in the days to come, I will raise up a son, one of your sons, and he will sit on the throne forever. It's no longer just like raising up a child. It is, I will resurrect one of your future sons. I will resurrect one of the prophets in the future. And everyone should then listen to this resurrected prophet, to this resurrected son of mine. And anyone who refuses, every soul who does not refuses to listen to him will be destroyed. That's tough. But that's the power of resurrection. It's supposed to make you, you open your eyes to wonders anew, capture your heart with his love. Verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant. In other words, y'all are the descendants of the lineage of this tradition. Made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families on the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, servant Jesus, 
having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. In other words, Jesus' ministry went to you, the Jewish nation, first. He went to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The doorstep of the temple, right there, Peter declares this last word. God raised up his son, sent him to you first. Right here, you see his power. Because there's going to be a day where this power is going to go all the way out to the ends of the earth. Now church, I said a moment ago, you must be thinking, Ayo, where is the three-point sermon? Where is the three? I want to get the juice. I want to get the juice. I think sometimes we short-circuit when we read our Bibles. Another Bible, another Bible proficiency thing I want you all to have. Sometimes we read our Bibles and we say, God, I, I, I want you to immediately speak to me. I want, you, I, I, I want you, where is the feeling? Where is the emo? Where is the, where is the impact? Uh, and you're reading the scripture, you're kind of racing through the scripture because you want to get sucker punched by God. You want to like have that encounter. But you know what? That's a little bit like going into, into uh, chemistry class and saying, hey, I want to start inventing things. When do we start inventing things? Come on, you know? And your teacher, uh, both wanting to encourage you in your enthusiasm, but also wanting to make sure you learn things correctly, will tell you, inventing things will come later, yeah? First, we have to learn about the periodic table. First, we have to learn about how chemicals work with one another, right? And that is very much like how reading your Bible works. You want the juice, but we actually need to understand our scriptures first. We need to spend time letting it unpack itself. So a summary of what we've read. It's good to summarize. Peter and John encounter the lame beggar outside the temple. The beggar asks for alms. Instead, Peter commands healing in Jesus' name. Boom, he is healed. Healed man clings to Peter. The crowd rushes in to Kepo, right? Peter addresses the crowd and he says this to them. This was not by their own power, but God's power. He said, you killed Jesus. <laughs> That's not, not quite the best, uh, the, the most typical uh, evangelistic sermon, you know, but apparently it worked here, yeah? You killed Jesus, <laughs> but God raised him up. And faith in Jesus' name was the power that healed this man. So you and all your rulers, I know you acted in ignorance, but now you can repent so that times of refreshing can come, but destruction awaits those who hear but refuse to listen. And so, this is the summary. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Throughout this story, who did you identify with? How many of you, you saw yourself as Peter and John? Raise your hand. You saw yourself as Peter and John? I, I, I'm the Peter and John, and there's someone out there, and I need to pray for someone so that they receive their healing. Come on, let's be honest. How many of you, you saw yourself as a Peter and John? I see myself as a Peter and John sometimes. Stretch your hands out. Let's see, let's see. Okay, give me a little wave. Okay, we've got a, 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 small, a, a few hands. Okay, how many of you, you saw yourself um, as the lame man? Okay, wave your hands. Yep, yep, some of you see yourself as a lame man. Okay, um, <laughs> Many of you do not, do not do this when you read your Bibles. You don't put yourself into it. It makes a huge difference who you put yourself into when you read your Bible. You get totally different outcomes. Yeah? I always say this as, a, as my example. David versus Goliath. If you read yourself as David, then you are the hero of the story. Goliath is your f first world problem. You know? um, um, and, and Israelite uh, 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 being afraid, the frightened Jews... As your, it's your first world lifestyle, you know, and there you are slaying your problem so that everyone can go, yay, you know. If, however, you read David as Jesus and Goliath is Satan and you are the frightened Israelites and when David slays Goliath, you say, yay, that's my champion, that's my hero. He overcomes Satan for me, right? It makes a huge difference who you read yourself into. And so, who you read yourself into in today's text makes a huge difference too. Because if you see yourself as the lame man, then the question I'm going to ask you is, what are you asking for? Are you asking for alms? Are you asking for healing? Are you asking for... What are you asking for? Right? That's a question for you. If you, however, you see yourself as Peter and John, I would ask you a totally different question. I would ask you, what do you have to give? Are you in possession of 
the name and the power and the faith in the name of Jesus Christ? Or are you just going to dispense of some silver, some gold, and be on your way? And it makes totally different outcomes who you read yourself into. And I want you to know this. For this text, my view is that it's okay to read yourself into either the lame man or, for that matter, Peter and John. And I'm going to take your throw one at a time. If you see yourself, now assume we all see ourselves as the lame man, the guy who's sitting by the beautiful gate. And all your life, by birth, and now this guy, he's been there. From birth, he's been there. Lame, unable to get up, unable to walk. His friends have to carry him probably on a stretcher and to put him down at the entrance because that's where everyone passes through. It's a high traffic area. And it's normal for him to just ask for alms. Peter and John were going up to the temple. They saw him, right? And he asked to receive alms. Now, I don't want to um, ketok this guy for asking for alms, huh? Okay? Let's not ketok this guy for asking for alms. I, I can already hear um, some charismatic preacher saying that, oh, that's his problem. He's asking for alms. He should be asking for healing, okay? Like, like let's, let, let's be fair to this guy, okay? Before this... He's not seen a supernatural thing, okay? He probably has not seen a supernatural thing. He may have heard of supernatural things, but no one schooled him, okay, to understand that it is something he can ask for or he can reasonably expect. I think God is being very gracious to him, okay? God is being very gracious to him. He asked for alms because that's all he's ever known how to ask for and how he was taught to ask for. And every day for how many years, if I may say donkey years, right? He's been brought out to sit there and his only thing in life is to ask for arms so that he can kais pagi, makan pagi, kais malam, makan malam, next day, hidup. Right? Live to die another day. That's his life, right? Okay? So he asked for arms as he has always asked for arms. And he got a lot more than he bargained for. And my friends, positioning ourselves in the, in the, in the shoes of this lame man I am asking from you what are you wanting there is a there is a healing story in the gospels where Jesus asks the man do you want to get healed he asked the man in John chapter 5 yeah the, the, the healing at the pool of Bethesda he asked him do you want to get healed as if as if it was a question that needed an answer. The guy says, yes, I will do and to get healed. Right? Sometimes, God needs us to articulate what we want. And I'm asking you today, what do you want? Because this man, all he could see, as far as his eyes could see, because no one ever showed him a grander vision than silver and gold. So all he could ask for was arms. And he asked for arms. And though there was nothing wrong in asking for alms, Peter had a grander vision for him. Peter had a vision for him that included far more than just daily subsistence. He had a vision for him that he would experience the power of the living God. And so when Peter says to him, silver and gold, I have none. What I have, I give to you. And then Peter has to reach us out. He doesn't spring up by himself. Huh? Peter reaches out. Hold his hand. He has to lift up his hand. And in that moment, the text says, his legs became strong. So it required him to stretch out his hand and receive the hand that Peter stretched out. And Peter here is standing in for God. He's an intercessor. He's standing in the place of God. And Peter stretches out. The guy, literally, this is an act of faith. Because he could say like, no lah, it will never happen, you know, you know. But no, he reaches out his hand, allows himself to hold Peter's arm, and allows himself to be lifted up. And in that act of faith, in that act of belief, and by the way, he has to have a response because Peter says, silver and gold I've none, but what I do have, I give to you. And what is it that he has? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Messiah Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he has to respond. He can say, ini bukan Tuhan aku. Not my God. Jesus, right? Not my God. No thank you. Or, you could stretch out your hand and say, yes. I'm going to say yes to this. What are you 
asking for. And when you ask for it, by the way, he didn't have to ask for healing. Just so we are clear with the text, we've got to be good at reading our Bibles. He didn't ask for healing. Peter offered it and stretched out his hand. His agreement was in receiving the hand. Sometimes God wants you to just stretch out your hand and say, yes, I receive. Yes, I receive. Yes, I agree with you. Stretch out your hand. Take his and allow him to bring healing. Earlier, Athalia, uh, during, uh, um, after the worship, was releasing that there is healing in this place, power of God for healing in this place. And I believe that God does want to heal. I'm going to pray for all of us right now. Service is not over. I still have a second point to preach. But we're going to take a moment right now to pray. Okay? Come, let's all pray together. Shaka karabarabarahanta keshi karabarahanta. If you're not if you're not familiar with the praying in tongues, just bear with me for a moment. Father God, we ask Lord God in the power of the name of Jesus that you speak to every one of us right now, and in the place deep in our hearts, help us to articulate that one thing we are asking for. Church, right now, the Lord Jesus says, "What are you asking for? Are you asking for a breakthrough?" If it is, ask for your breakthrough. If there are, you're asking for healing over your body, if it is, ask for that healing. Don't be too shy to ask. Ask for that healing. If you are asking for a financial deliverance because you're staring at a black hole, ask for deliverance. If you're asking for, 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 for restoration in a broken relationship, ask the Lord for restoration. What are you asking for? Ask. And if you feel that you have too small a vision for what you would ask of God, I want to ask the Lord to stretch and enlarge your vision right now. Holy Spirit, lengthen, broaden, and heighten our vision for what you could possibly do in us, through us, and with us, O Lord God. And grant to us faith, an increasing measure of belief, so that we can say, yes, Lord, I will ask for even more. I will ask for even more. I will ask for more than just silver and gold. I will ask for my healing. I will ask for the nations. I will ask for salvation. I will ask for the healing and salvation of my people. I will ask for the rescuing of someone I love right now there is no end my church no end to who you can ask for as you stand in the gap so right now ask in the name of Jesus Christ Messiah Jesus of Nazareth ask Father in the name of Jesus I receive right now I stretch my hand to you and I say yes to you, Lord God. Right now, I say I believe in you, O Lord God. I receive what you are going to give, Lord God. And Lord, I will not box you in to a fixed outcome. I will trust you that you are a God, the Most High God, and you will work all things to the good of those who love you and are called according to His purpose. I ask, Lord, that you conform my asking, reshape my asking so that it is in line with you that when I ask it will be the same things you would have wanted of me and I ask Jesus Christ come save give answer release and bring deliverance bring healing if you are in need of healing right now in the name of Jesus receive your healing right now right now. If you are in need of deliverance right now, the Lord breaks the chains that hold you back, the chains of oppression, the chains of demonic powers. In the name of Jesus, every chain be broken right now in the name of Jesus. And if you are in need of a restoration of a relationship in the name of Jesus right now, I pray, Lord Jesus, you release forgiveness. You release the power um, to be humble. You release forgiveness, forgiving uh, uh, on the other party's side as well. And in Jesus' name, I just speak a ministry of reconciliation to take place in our midst even after this service is done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And Jesus says, and what in 1 John 5, say, um, John says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. My children ask of me a lot of things. 
whenever they ask things that are in my will, I'm very willing to give. And that's how God wants from us. He wants us to be conformed day by day. You know, if you, if, if you ask like, God, give me the ability to rob banks. It's like, he's, he's not going to answer those prayers, okay? He's not going to answer those prayers, okay? But if you, if you say, God, give me the ability to work hard, you know, and to, work, uh, and, 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 to, and to be of influence, and to be of influence for good, you know? Try praying those prayers instead. And that's my favourite. My favourite is, is when Jesus says to a man who's praying for his daughter, he says, all things are possible to the one who believes. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. As if inside him, there is a war between a part of him that gives voice to faith and words of, of trust and belief. And then there's another part of him that, that is doubting because maybe he's been hurt many times and he doesn't, doesn't want to be hurt again and again. And he has that unbelief, he has that belief, and out of his voice comes this honest prayer. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Come work inside my, my lack of faith. Come work inside my doubts. Come work inside my fears. Come work inside this part of me that dare not believe anymore. Come. And I want to invite all of us into a journey, a lifelong journey, not just for today, into allowing God into the place of unbelief so that He can come in and touch and transform those parts so that you can grow in faith because the Word says He is the author and perfecter of faith. He authors faith and he perfects faith. And a lot of times, this man, he has an imperfect faith. He has belief, he has unbelief, and that's okay because the author and perfecter of faith is going to come and perfect the faith that, he has, that you have. Amen? If you see yourself as the beggar, the question is, what are you asking for? But church, I want you all now to switch roles. Okay, switch roles. Let's restart this adventure. Okay? And now, you are Peter and John. And outside, there is a lame beggar outside at the, at, the, at the doorstep, at the doorstep of SIBKL at Sungai Buloh Church. There is a lame man there. He's been sitting there since birth. What do you have to give? The text says this, Peter directed his gaze at him as did John. They said, look at us. Interesting, huh? Why he said, look at us. Most times, you don't want to look at beggars in the eye. And by the way, the beggars also don't want to look at you in the eye. That exchange, that transaction is filled with shame. It's filled with shame. The beggar does not want to be looked at in the eye. He wants you to just drop some coins and move along. And very honestly, we also don't really feel like wanting to look because we have survivor's guilt. Right? Disaster, trauma, bad economy hits everybody. Some of us are resilient enough, we survive. And today we are silver and gold that go with us. Guys out there, okay? And we also don't want to look them in the eye because we are also, we are also wrecked with some weird kind of shame and guilt that I have and they don't. So we just kind of like avoid, evade the gaze, just kind of like. And he also evades his gaze and says, thank you, boss. And the transaction is over like that. Not for Peter, not for John. They say, look at me. And in the gaze is a restoration of humanity, a restoration of dignity, a restoration of personhood because you are now a person. You're not just a beggar. You're not just someone I'm going to give alms to. You're a real living person. And I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to make you look at me because I want you to know that I'm a human as well. I'm not just, I'm not just an ATM to, that discharge, dispenses coins. You know, I'm not. I'm not just a ticket to tomorrow's rice, you know, and cigarettes. I'm a person. And in that exchange, two humans look at each other. Three, if you include John. And then he says this to him. You want to know what I have? I'll tell you what I don't have. Silver and gold, I don't have. Meaning, I can't help you with the arms. Bad news, I can't help you with the arms. But good news, I've got something else. Good news, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I'm going to ask you, church, what do you have? Part of our problem is we have silver and gold. 
That makes this transaction a lot easier, a lot more convenient. We can just evade the gaze, throw the coins, move in. Because now, it's interesting because just a paragraph before, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and blah, blah, blah. They were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And everyone, everyone's needs were covered. Everyone's needs were covered, right? And so it immediately follows uh, um, this passage that he says, I have no silver and gold. They've probably given away all their money uh, for that day. They've, they may have some mon money back somewhere, you know, um, but they didn't carry it out with them. They've, been, they have, they've emptied their pockets for each other. Silver and gold, I have none. But I tell you what I do have. I've got power. I've got power. You want to know why? Acts 1.8 But you will receive power. I've got power of the living God. I've got power of the Holy Spirit because a few days ago, the Holy Spirit came and the word of my King Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, not miracle workers. Jesus is the miracle worker. You are witness. Witness all the miracles that go through us. Witness. That's what signs and wonders do. They witness. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus also says at the ending of Mark, and we always get tripped up at the ending of Mark by, by the deadly poison, right? Every time we read the ending of Mark, the deadly poison trips us up, and then we say, forget about the ending of Mark, I'd rather read the ending of Matthew, right? Which, which is a lot more humanly logical. Ending of Mark says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Do you believe that, church? In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will pick up serpents with their hands. In my name, by the way, fulfilled, fulfilled by Paul in Malta, he picked up the serpent latched itself onto his hand. We'll see that at the end of this year. Right? Serpent latched onto his hand of, at the edge of his hand. He didn't die. In my name, they will drink deadly poison and, and it will not hurt them. I'm sure it's been fulfilled somewhere in human history. In my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is a God who will do supernatural works through us when we are in the course of of witness. I know that I've seen stories of people who go and like chase after lions and like purposely like, oh, do this thing and they YouTube themselves and they drink, drink poison. Oh, in Jesus' name, don't die and then drink poison and then they die, right? That's not witness. That's, that's a circus. That's, uh, that's shock and awe. That's not witness, okay? And God is not obliged to answer those prayers and to fulfill the ending of, the ending of Mark if all you're looking for is YouTube hits, okay? He's not obliged to fulfill it. But when you're in the course of real witness and you're in the face of danger and peril and death, and God will do sometimes supernatural things to you. And then sometimes God doesn't. And we know. Because later you're going to see one day Peter in prison miraculously set free. James in prison beheaded and killed, right? And if you're a mother of James, you must be looking at texts like this and going like, Che, my son also didn't kena. How come Peter's mother gets his son back? How come I don't get my son back? That's the mystery of how God answers through the supernatural. But every act of supernatural is a witness. It's a sign. It's not a healing in itself. As if we are, he's a vending machine and I just want to get fed for myself. It's not. Amen? So my question is, whose faith caused this healing? Was it Peter's faith? Or was it the man's faith? I'm just going to cut through because I want to move on quickly. He says, and in his name, by faith in his name, who has the faith? At this point, who has the faith? Peter has the faith. John has the faith. This guy, I don't know what he has. He's asking for arms. I don't know if he has faith. But Peter says this, what I have, I give to you. And what is this thing that he has? What does Peter give? What is transacted? What does Peter have that he can give to this man? The name. But not just the name. Dash, dash. Faith in his name. I have faith in his name. Now, we don't really understand what it means for a name to have power. Maybe we don't live in a world where names have so much power. 
Or maybe we do. Maybe you walk into a hood and you, you name drop like some taiko, you know? We're like, whoa, whoa, again, okay, that name has power. Maybe you walk into a school and you name drop the Guru Basar, the name has power. Or maybe you walk into a government agency, you name drop the Mantri, that name has power. This name has power. And sicknesses, obey those names. Demons, obey those names. Storm clouds seem to obey that name. And that's why in Philippians 2, it says that when he was highly exalted, hyper-exalted to the right hand of the Father, it says that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the name above all names. His name has power. But it's not just his name in an isolated, objective sense has power. In you, where you have faith in that name, it's got power. It's active power. And faith is not just inside here. Because we know that faith can sometimes and often be a mental agreement. The word for faith in, Jew, in, in Greek is pistis. And this is important. For those of you who are newer to our church, this will be the first time you're seeing this slide. For those of you who are old-timers, you've seen this slide three times already. Right? Faith is a mental agreement. You say yes in your heart. You say yes, I believe. With your mouth, you confess. You say yes, I believe and lived out loyalty. You order your life. You act on it. You act on that faith. It's like, if I have faith that this chair will hold my weight, I can think this chair will hold my weight. I can say, hey, come, let's sit on the chair. But I actually need to sit on the chair to, be, to act out that I have faith that this chair can hold my weight. And that act of sitting on the chair is a form of enacted loyalty. I'm acting out on it. Faith is all three together. Or if I may use a different English word, Faith is allegiance. So it's here, it's here, it's here. It's a full thing. Your faith is your allegiance to God. Not just what you have inside here. What I do have, I give to you. He has faith. He has allegiance to King Jesus. And he says that this is the king who's going to come. I have my king. I give you belief in this king. And then supernatural takes place. And out of that, what happens? People see. People are in awe and in wonder. And that gives Peter the opportunity to say, guys, by the way, y'all killed this saviour, huh? but now you can repent. And then 3,000 do. 3,000 give their lives. If you read on in the text, 3,000, uh, sorry, not 3,000 3, was, was in the text before, right? More people do. Right? They give their lives to the Lord. My friends, every miraculous work is there to help us see the wonder of our God. And there is a third group of people you could have read yourself into. I asked you at the start, do you see yourself as the lame man? Some of you raise your hands. And if that's the case, my question for you is, what are you asking for? I asked you, do you see yourself as Peter and John? And you say, some of you say yes. And if that's you, I ask you, what do you have to give? But there is a third group. The third group is the crowd. Do you see yourself as the crowd? Standing as the bystanders, watching the whole thing unfold? And if that is you, my question is, what do you make of all this? It doesn't even mean that you are, I'm speaking to someone who is not a Christian here. You may have been in this church for a long time. You may be sitting in the far-flung corners. You may be sitting right even in the center. But you're on the periphery of what's happening in God's house. And you're watching. You're watching the crazy things happen. Or you're watching the ministry take place. You're watching people come to Christ. You're watching people being discipled. You're watching people come to know a lot more. You're seeing people, new, ever new people uh, uh, coming to, through the doors, being discipled, getting baptised, uh, 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 bringing food, contributing to the life of church. And you're standing there or sitting there on the periphery of the church and saying, I wonder what I make of all this. I wonder if this is something that I'm going to throw my lot into as well. My friends, if you read yourself into the crowd, observing, evaluating, what is the Lord saying to you today? You've seen the lame man ask. You've seen the disciples give. 
You have seen God's miracle. And now the question meets your eye as well. And the Lord will not evade His eye from you too. He will say to you, as I'm going to say to you right now, look at me. Look at me, church. What do you make of all this? Pastor come and preach to you every Sunday. What do you make of all this? We say there is a camp coming. There's a time for us to grow and bond as a family. What do you make of that? We say, come, be prayed for, receive healing, receive the power of God. Let's journey together. Let's walk more closely. Let's read our Bibles more. What do you make of this? Let's say, we say, come, fellowship with us so that we get to know you. We give you a chance to get to know us. What do you make of that? We say, join a cell group. Don't wander around. I always say, don't be a lost pixel, right? Floating in space. The picture is one missing black gap, you know, without you, right? But join, join a cell. Be part of the family. What do you make of all that? Because my call to you is to belong. Belong in the family of God, in spiritual fellowship, which is not the same as friendship. Belong to each other in covenant keeping as we all strive towards our Lord and belong to Jesus in a complete way so that He makes you and brings you into His body. Amen? I want to invite the worship team to come up right now. And I'll invite us all to rise to our feet. Because the Lord Jesus today is making a way out from past experiences where you may have felt like, gosh, Pastor, please don't ask me to be more involved. I've been hurt in church before. Pastor, don't ask me to contribute again. I remember the last time I contributed in church, it was a bad ending. And today you're asking of me again, are you please, please, Pastor, don't. And the Lord says, I'm a way maker. And His ways are not even my ways. I may suggest to you one, two, three things. And God's answer to you might not be one of those one, two, three things. He might have a fourth and a fifth thing for you. That Pastor also doesn't yet know what the Lord has for you. But I'm not asking you to say yes to me though. I'm asking you to say yes to Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus has an answer for you. Amen? So even right now as the worship team is bringing us to just close today's time together in worship, I want to invite us all to allow God to make a way out of wherever we are at right now. He's going to make a way, a way to stretch our hand up, a way to rise up and to have strength come back to us, a way to get up, pick up our mat and to walk a way to step forward and to cling uh, to the power uh, of God, a way to be a witness and say that it was the power of the name of Jesus Christ that healed me. Do you not see? Is it not obvious? And so right now, the Lord is going to make a way. I just want us to just, just, just lift up our voices. Hallelujah. If any of you are looking for healing, I want you to stretch your hand all the way up right now. Just stretch your hand, all eyes closed, all heads bowed, no one looking around. If you're looking for healing, just stretch your hand all the way up. Just like the lame beggar, stretch his hand all the way up right now. In your act of faith, in the name of Jesus Christ, I speak healing over your physical bodies, over your emotional space. I speak healing over your past. I speak healing over your trauma. I speak healing over your ailment, over your injury, and over your sickness. Right now, for every hand stretched out, and if you want to join the hands stretched out, you can throw your hands up even right now still. Every hand stretched up right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Every cancerous cell be pushed back in the name of Jesus Christ. Every sickness be pushed back. Every torn muscle be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Every back, every lower back that's been hurt, every kidney in the name of Jesus Christ be healed right now. Every kidney be healed right now. Fatty liver be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Trauma be set free from trauma right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Skin disease in Jesus' name. Leave right now in the name of Jesus. Mental anguish in the name of Jesus. Leave right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that today you are moving in our midst. 
we worship you oh lord god for you are the way maker you cut a road out of darkness you cut a road out of dead ends lord god so father in jesus name i just release your power over our people right now in the name of jesus christ receive your healing nama jesus nama jesus benebosmu nama jesus adalah kuasa that will heal you, that will restore you, that will bring you back, bring you back home. Father, in the name of Jesus, we close this time. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are our Lord, our King, our Shepherd, our Healer, our Deliverer. You are every good thing in our life, O oh Lord God. And our cry to you is, Lord Jesus, Son of the Living God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. All of God's people say, Amen. Let's give God praise. Let's give God praise.